Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Matt Gross, and I've been uh, serving the last year, just finishing up my first year as the church chairman, which means I work with the executive committee and the elder board uh, to set direction, kind of like Scott said, or and work on church business. And it's been an interesting year for me because in my normal job, I'm a school superintendent, and so I think a lot about... Um, change and leadership and so I've had this learning the last year about well what does that look like in a church and in the school setting I think a lot about where should we be um, how are we going to get there and how are we going to know we're making progress towards that and in the church side um, it's a different world because we need to make sure and leave room for for God's work and so you have this strategic sort of piece and then the spiritual kind of piece that I've been thinking about, like, what does this look like? And like a lot of things in life, I think there's a balance that we need to think about. I think, uh, you know, think about when God sent the Israelites into Canaan. Um, I don't think he, gave, he, he said, go in there and occupy the land and, and take over. He gave them clear direction. But I don't think he said, you know, use this ridge when you're in your battle plan and, and cross the river here. Uh, he let that. He let that up to the soldiers. So I think we have to use the, the people that are smart and think about leadership and change and write about those things, learn from those people, and also be open to what God has to say about where he'd like our church to go. So, um, so I've been thinking about this, and it was interesting timing uh, that Scott asked me to be a part of this morning because uh, I've been listening in Revelation, and I'm getting to that point now where I don't listen to music in my car anymore. I listen to things where people talk. Um, but I was listening to Revelation, so that, you know, um, you don't have to worry. I'm not going to get up here and take a deep dive into, you know, Revelation and prophecy and things like that. Um, but chapters 2 and 3 are about churches. And um, John, the author, was uh, stranded on an island, and he was told in a vision to write down everything he heard and that he saw. And chapters 2 and 3 are about churches. So when uh, we're thinking about 2018 in our church and um, where, we're, where we are headed, it made sense to me to, to take a look at this passage and see what we can learn because I think the Bible's good for, uh, what, to understand what has happened and what is happening now and what's going to happen in the future. So these are the seven churches, and not that you can see exactly where they are. Maybe the map's probably small, but you can see there in, um, in that area of the world, it's always good to be reminded that this, is a, you know, this document, this Bible, is about real things and real people and real places. This really happened. Um, so these were seven real churches. And um, John was stranded at, on Patmos. I don't know if you can see that. It's a little dot sort of in the middle. Um, but anyway, these are the churches that he was writing to, and he got a message to speak to. So they were Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And just a few things before I get started. This could be a whole sermon series, I'm sure, and I'm not volunteering for that, um, but there's a lot of meat here, and we're just going to do a flyby. Uh, so um, there are people that think that these seven churches actually not only were uh, the message was relevant to that time, but also for the church in the history. In history. So this message to Laodicea, which was the last one, there are people that think that that message is especially relevant to our church today. Um, but we won't get into that. And I don't know, and I don't think anybody else does either, why um, Jesus told these, uh, picked out these seven churches. There were a lot of other churches that existed at that time. There are letters to them in the New Testament. We know that. Um, but we don't know why he picked these seven. 
other than there was something significant that he needed to speak to us about. And um, it's also good, I think, to remember that this, these letters, uh, these messages weren't delivered to the corner of East and Main. These weren't brick buildings with a bell on top. These were congregations of people that were meeting and worshiping and um, serving God that way. So these, uh, the messages in, in Revelation 2 follow a pattern, um, which includes a number of things. Jesus introduces himself as, hey, I'm the messenger. This is my message to you. And um, then he gets into kind of a uh, a commendation. Here's what, what you're doing great. And then he gets into a condemnation in most cases, like you're really messing up here. And uh, that's a pattern he follows through. And I thought it'd be a good place to start to think about what can we learn. And so we're going to skip over two of the churches, Smyrna and Philadelphia, because there's uh, not as much feedback to those two churches. I've only got 15 minutes from Scott. Um, and I think we can uh, put some patterns together with the other five. So, um, Let's see, Steve, if you want to go to the next one. All right, so um, this is his message to Ephesus, and um, uh, I think we'll just focus on verses two, uh, 2 through 4. You can see this pattern sort of emerge. Actually, if you look at one um, up here, you can say these are the words of him who holds the seven stars. So this is Jesus uh, in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Here he gets into his word to Ephesus. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You've persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. And then we run into the yet or the but or the nevertheless here. I hold this against you. You've forsaken the love you had at first. In some versions it says you've forgotten your first love. So if we focus on these, we can see this again, this commendation. Your deeds are good. You've worked hard. You've persevered. You've shown discernment. You're not tolerating wicked people or bad teaching. Um, you've stuck with it, perseverance. But here's the problem. You've forgotten your first love. In other words, you've forgotten why you're doing all this stuff. You've forgotten that I'm supposed to be at the center. You're busy being busy. You're busy doing good things. Uh, but you've forgotten that the reason you're doing this stuff is because you love me. I was supposed to be your first love. I was your first love at one time. Let's go ahead and advance. So this is consistent with the rest of the Bible, um, how important our heart is, how important our motives are to God. And, and I think if you look in this passage, they're more important than the deeds themselves because the deeds that this church was doing, uh, were doing were really good. They were doing good things, but they were doing it for the wrong reason. Let's go a couple, a couple more ahead. Hit it, go ahead and hit some more arrows. Oh, it didn't. All right. Well, all right. Well, that's what happens when you have a different, uh, different system. Cool. All right. We'll roll with it. So what I had up there was this, this graphic of uh, here's what, uh, kind of a summary of here what, here's what Jesus said I like and here's what Jesus said I didn't like. And what I want to hit at or the, what I think we can take away from this Ephesus church is they'd forgotten their purpose. They'd forgotten their why. They forgot why they were busy doing all these things. So that's what I want to remember from that. We'll come back to that. The next two churches that I want to look at are Pergamum and Thyatira. So, um, oh, look at that. It showed up. See, look, isn't that nice? Thumbs up. Good work. I'll keep going, Steve. All right. So, the, yeah, the church had forgotten their why. All right. It's kind of uh, anticlimactic now, but it's good still. It's still good. All right. Isn't that nice? All right. So let's go on to Pergamum. So Pergamum was a city that was uh, kind of a seat of the Roman Empire, and uh, there was a ton of emperor worship going on there. And so it was a really tough place to be a Christian. 
Um, they had the ability, not, they couldn't execute people everywhere in every city, and Pergamum was a place that they could. And um, in this passage, I think you can actually see uh, a mention of a martyr in here. So you can see again uh, in, in verse 12, hey, uh, to the angel, a messenger of the church, um, Jesus again, these are the words of him who has sharp, double-edged sword. That's Jesus. Uh, here we go with a combination. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. You're in the middle of this tough spot. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city, where Satan lives. And then here's the word, nevertheless, but I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans repent. All right, let's move to the next slide. So this uh, message in Pergamum, you can see, follows the same pattern. Um, and in his rebuke, Jesus uh, identifies some real specific things. He says, you're tolerating, you're tolerating some, some division. You're tolerating things that are theologically wrong. And if you look closely at the passage, um, Jesus isn't speaking to the people who are bringing that false word. He's talking to the whole church. And he says, you're tolerating this. This is happening inside of you. You're letting this go on. And I think that's something we can take, uh, take with us. All right, let's go ahead, Steve. My nice chart. So there we go. Um, so what were they doing well? They were, they were being faithful in a tough situation. They were in a tough place to be a Christian. Jesus acknowledges that and said, hey, you're, you're sticking with me, and that's great, but you're tolerating this division, and you're tolerating some bad sp- uh, spiritual practices. And then if we move on to Thyatira, so let's move to the next one. We can see kind of some of the same, uh, the same stuff. The angel of the church, these are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire, um, and feet are like burnished bronze. Jesus again. In 19, the commendation. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Good job. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By your teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. So if we skip to the next slide... We see the same sort of pattern here in Thyatira. I guess I can look back there. I don't have to turn around. Um, we see in Thyatira that, again, we have the same thing. We have good deeds happening. So let's slide. Good deeds, their love and faith, service and perseverance. There's good things happening in this church, and, and Jesus acknowledges that. But then he goes on again and says, hey, you're tolerating Jezebel. Now, this probably wasn't her name. He's referring uh, uh, to um, the wife of Ahab in the Old Testament, one of the worst kings that there was. Um, and Jezebel in the Old Testament was a known idolater and drew Israel away. And that's what this lady is doing in this church. But again, we can see that his message isn't to Jezebel. And it's not to the people that are following Jezebel. It's to the whole church saying, you're tolerating this. You're putting up with this. You're tolerating this divisive uh, atmosphere within your body. And you need to not do that. And I think we can take something from that. We can make sure that, that, uh, that we're promoting and pursuing truth and that we're pursuing unity. Let's slide, move one more, Steve. All right, so they neglected to pursue truth and unity. And then finally, the last two. 
Sardis here. Um, again, to the angel in the church, these are the words uh, of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. It's talking about Jesus again. And he says, I know your deeds. You have your reputation of being. And notice he doesn't even start with a commendation here. He gets right at it. So that's not a good sign. Um, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Never said that somebody who's not paying attention. Wake up. Pay attention. Get going. What are you doing? Um, that's what Jesus is saying to this church here. He, he throws them a little bit of a bone in verse 4. You have a few people who have not soiled their garments, um, who haven't been tainted by the world. You have a few people, but for the most part, you're dead. You're pretending. Um, you think you're alive. You have a reputation for being alive, but you're not. And the church looks good when you drive by, but inside there's not a lot going on. If we look at Laodicea next, um, let's go ahead a couple slides, Steve. Oh, I don't want to miss this. Look. Um, we look at Laodicea next. This one, this church really gets it. There's not even one bit of commendation in here. There's not even a nice little, there's a few people who are doing good things. This is just all a uh, tough word to hear. These are the words of the amen, uh, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Again, talking about Jesus introducing himself, describing himself. 15, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I'm rich, and I've acquired wealth, and uh, do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. That's a tough word to hear. You get that letter in the mail, you're not very excited. And that's the message that Laodicea got. What was going on here? Let's forward, Steve. Thinking about these two churches, Sardis and Laodicea, the words weren't exactly the same, um, but the message to these churches was very similar, I think, that they were dead. They were dead inside. They were going through the motions. Let's go ahead one more, Steve. They were just going through the motions. They're having no impact on their community, on the people that were even attending, I think. Think about what does a church like this look like? Uh, I think it's a church that's measuring itself by all the wrong things. They're worried about or thinking a lot about how many people are here and how big the offering is. I think they're not worried about whether lives are changing. They're not worried about whether marriages are being strengthened or whether fathers and mothers in Christ are being created or people from the church, kids in the church, are growing up and going out. I don't think they're worried about disciples being made or... Um, they're worried more about looking alive from the street, um, but they're dead inside. I think that's what these churches look like. There's no life, then there's no impact being made. So these five churches, I think there's some things we can take away uh, here at Grand Rapids Evangelical Free as we think about 2018. Let's go to the next one, Steve. We need to remember that uh, why we're here. We need to remember our purpose. We have a lot of good things going on. Uh, Scott just hit on a couple Bible studies coming up. We know our children's program is flourishing. We have things going on with college and across the spectrum that they're great things. Um, but I think we have to remember as a church why we're doing this. What is our first love? What's our purpose? It's not to be busy. It's to be uh, keeping Christ at the center of all this stuff. 
That's why we're doing it. So I think that's the one, one of the things we can bring in. And there's going to be opportunity to lose sight of that. We have a, uh, our, this building facility is going to look different in 365 days. And it's going to be easy to get distracted by that and lose sight of the fact that this isn't just about making room for more people. This is about what Jesus is going to do through that. Uh, the second thing, we need to remember to pursue truth and unity, like those uh, second two, or the second and third church I talked about. They, they were allowing this, uh, this stuff inside of them to tear them apart. They were allowing that to go on. And I think uh, God's calling us to make sure that what we're talking about is true and that we're sticking together as a, a congregation. We're pursuing unity. And finally, the last one is that we need to have an impact. That our job as a church isn't to have um, a big building or a beautiful sign or a lot of people here. Um, it's about making an impact in our community. And if God calls us to get busy with little kids or college kids or marriages or missions or discipleship or helping the least of these, that we need to get busy doing that. And that I don't think we're supposed to do that sort of in a spray and pray kind of uh, uh, manner that we're just going to get busy and hope everything turns out. I don't think that that's how God operates. He's a God of order. And so I think one of the things we can think about as a church is as we're thinking about impact, that we're thinking about it in ways that make sense and, and, and being strategic and spiritual uh, at the same time. And we're balancing those things. Scott's going to come up and talk about what's on his heart, and I think his is like a perfect sort of like how do we go about some of these things. But there's a cool part that I don't want to miss at the end of chapter 3. And Jesus says uh, in verse 20, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. If you think about that passage, and some of you have heard it a lot, he, uh, he says, Hey, I'm waiting. I'm standing. And I'm not just standing out in front of your door, I'm knocking. I'm being active. I want to be a part of what you're doing. I want to be your purpose. The other thing I think it's interesting to notice is that he doesn't uh, say, uh, just yell that the door's open and I'll come in. Ever do that? Hey, it's open. That's not what he's saying. It feels much more personal, much more active when the person who's on the inside goes to that door and opens and let that, lets that guest in. That's what he calls us to do. He says, open the door. Don't just yell for me to come in. Don't just expect that I will. I'm waiting. I'm knocking, but you need to open the door for me. And that's exciting that the Jesus, especially if you look at how he describes himself to these seven churches, that's a pretty uh, amazing ally that we have. He wants to come in. He wants to be a part of what we're doing. He wants to sit at our table. He wants to eat with us. Um, so uh, anyway, uh, purpose, truth, and unity, and having impact, that's what I wanted to share. And I'll turn it over to Scott. I'll look at the clock. I'm blaming you, brother. All right. <laughs> My vision for the church in 2018, you know, it's got to start with this. What was Jesus' vision for the church? I think um, i got to look at the great commandment, Matthew 22, uh, 36 through 40. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love 
your neighbor as yourself. These two commandments depend, on these two commandments depend all the whole law of the prophets. If we hold on to that, we've got to hold on to the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 16 through 20. But the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee. Are you hearing that, Frank? Okay. Um, to the mountain which Jesus has, has designated. They saw him and they worshiped him. But some were doubtful. And Jesus came to them and he spoke, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So I believe any vision that I have for this church must align with these two scriptures. And if we align with these two scriptures, we are doing his will and we will be healthy. See, I had a different message, but I received a blog, and this blog scared me. It talked about churches dying. I'll share part of this. This is called the Urgent Church. Nine changes we must make or we're going to die. You know what? We've watched churches in this area die. Goes like this. This is another church closed. The church had unbelievable potential. Indeed, it had its own glory days, but only for a season. See, 10 years ago, nobody would have predicted this closure. But today, it's another statistic in ecclesiastical graveyard. I know we don't compromise doctrine. I know that we never say we will change God's words. But many of our congregations have to change or they're going to die. I call these churches the urgent church. Time is of the essence. If changes don't happen soon, very soon, these churches will die. The pace of congregational death is accelerating. What then are some of the changes churches must make? Allow me to give fair warning. Some of them are easy. Indeed, some of them are only possible through God. Now, I believe these nine things, um, some of them we're doing outstanding, like the churches Matt talked about. Some of them we're doing poorly. And some of them we're kind of lukewarm on. Let me, let, let me just share these with you. Um, don't look at your neighbors as some of these come up and point fingers. Don't elbow your husband or wife in the side. We first, number one, must stop bemoaning the death of cultural Christianity. Such whining does no good. Easy growth is not simple, and it's not a reality for some churches. People no longer come to church because they believe they must do so to be culturally relevant. The next time a church member says they know where we are, they can come in if they want to. See, the Great Commission is not about that. It's not you all come. It's about us going. We must, number two, stop ceasing to see the church as a place of comfort and stability in the midst of rapid change. Certainly God's truth is unchanging, so we do find comfort and stability in that reality, but don't look to the church to change methods and approaches and um, human-made traditions. Indeed, we must learn to be uncomfortable. We must learn to be uncomfortable in the world that we're about to make a difference in. We've never done it that way before is a death declaration. Number three, we must abandon this entitlement mentality. This church is not a country club where you pay your dues, you get your perks, you get your privileges. It is a gospel outpost where you are to put yourself last. 
Don't seek to get your way with music, the temperature, the length of the sermons. Here's a simple guideline. Be willing to die for the sake of the gospel. That is the opposite of the entitlement mentality. Four, we must start doing. Most of us love the idea of evangelism more than we like evangelism. Try a simple prayer. Ask God to give you gospel opportunities. You may be surprised how he uses you. Five, we must stop using biblical words in unbiblical ways. Discipleship does not mean caretaking. Fellowship does not mean entertainment. Six, we must stop focusing on the minors. You know, Satan must love it when we spend six months in a bylaw change. That's six months of gospel neglect. Seven, we must stop shooting our own. The tragedy is related to the entitlement mentality that says if we don't get our way, we're going to go after the pastor, we're going to go after a staff member, we're going to go after a church member who has a different perspective of ours. We may even go after their families. Don't let bullies or perpetual critics control the church. Don't shoot our own. It is not friendly fire. Eight, we must stop wasting time in unproductive meetings and committees and business sessions. Wouldn't it be nice if every church member could only ask one question or make one comment for every time they had shared their faith in the last week? Hmm. Nine, most important, we must become a house of prayer. Simply stated, we are doing too much on our own power. We're really busy, but we're not doing the business of God. And this is something we've wrestled with in that room as elders. Are we managers of a church or are we leaders of a church? And it's a struggle sometimes. The default is to go back to being managers of a church. I don't want to manage this church. I want to lead this church, and that's all of our hearts. Around 200 churches will close this week, maybe more. The pace is accelerating um, unless our congregations make some dramatic changes. Stay with me. I'm going to tell you how to make these changes, okay, church? Um, Hear me well, church leaders. For many of us, the choice is simple. Change or die. Time's running out. For the sake of the gospel, make yourself and make changes in God's power. What we want is a healthy church. What is a healthy church? Lifeway Research did an in-depth study, to, um, and I mean an in-depth study. They asked 4,000. They asked every question. They, did. they wanted to get a solid framework of what a disciple of Jesus looks like. And it's a disciple that is maturing. That one is moving down that road from a baby in the faith to a young adult to a father or mother in the faith. What does that look like? What are, what are some things that are some attributes? Um, eight of them. Bible engagement, obeying God and denying self, serving God and others, sharing Christ, exercising faith, seeking God, building relationships, and being unashamed or transparent. Those are attributes. But they found three consistent factors that contributed to those attributes. These factors were they read their Bible consistently. Consistently. Not just Sunday morning when they're sitting here and then it gets thrown in the back seat of the car. Consistently. That means those days, Monday through Saturday, not just the Sundays. They attended a, a worship service regularly. Not just Christmas, 
not just when the weather was nice. They met, the third thing, they met in a small group. They discipled others, and they were being discipled by somebody. They were speaking into somebody's life, and somebody was speaking into them. Um, This is a great pattern. Ken has a mentor that speaks into his life. Ken is my mentor. He speaks into my life. I speak into, see, this, this is one of those things, those three consistent factors, read, attend, and meet. So my vision for this church this year is that we, we go a little bit deeper on those three. We read, attend, and meet. If we do, we will become an effective church. We will become a different church. See, I don't want to be like all them other churches. I want us to be different. John 3.30, he must become greater, I must become less. This is a total different view of the world. The world says it's all about me. If you think this way, you become uncomfortable in this world. Think about how uncomfortable it is. And the coworker says, well, what is it? And you struggle and you say, you know, I just want to tell them I love Jesus. But you struggle with that. Are you uncomfortable? How uncomfortable was it for those first believers knowing they could go to a cross and be crucified, they could be decapitated, they could put, put on a stake, and they still share Jesus? And I struggle sometimes saying to a coworker, I love Jesus. My, year's, my New Year's resolution, I want to be different. So brothers and sisters, and we are brothers and sisters, if you've accepted Christ, we are in a family together, whether you like it or not, I am your brother. I know some of you want to disown me. Ain't happening. Let's be different together. Let's read, meet, and attend. The greatest New Year's resolution. Who's making New Year's resolutions this year? <laughs> Not one of you. You bunch of scaredy cats. What are, you know what? Here's the top ten New Year's resolutions. Lose weight. Life for self-improvements, better financial decisions, quit smoking, do more exciting things, spend time with my family or close friends, work out more often, uh, learn something new on my own, do good deeds, find the love of my life, find a better job. See, the majority of New Year's resolutions, about 44% of them, are self-related. 32% are weight-related. Side note, my goal is to lose 10 pounds this year. I'm about 15 pounds away. Relationship-based New Year's resolutions, 20%. We would rather work on improving ourselves than have a relationship. Ken's going to expound on relationships in the coming months on his sermon series. I really look forward to that. So who's better at keeping New Year's resolutions, 20-somethings or 50-somethings? Anybody got a guess? You'd think as mature people, we'd have it down. We'd be able to keep them. No. 50-somethings keep about 16% of their New Year's resolutions. 20-somethings, almost 40% of their New Year's resolutions they keep. We can do better if we use God's help, his strength, not ours, in keeping resolutions. Uh, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Remember, we have a helper, John 14, 16. And I ask the Father, and he will give you another, an advocate to help you with forever. So what is, the wor- what is the greatest New Year's resolution ever? Seek God. 
Desire God and love God. Matthew 6.33, but seek first his kingdom and righteousness and all these things will be given to you. Matthew 7.7-12, 7, 7 ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. For everyone who asks will receive. The one who seeks will find. And the one who knocks the door will be open. Will you partner with me on this? I, I, we're going to play a song. Um, this is the Holy Spirit. Um, this song, in the middle of pre- 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 preparing this, um, I turned the music on and this came. My wife says, well, that's a great song. Did you pick that for this, for this series? I said, nope. First time I ever heard it. But it fits. Um, Micah Taylor wrote this song a couple years ago, but it wasn't until just recently when his grandmother was dying of blood cancer, she was going through treatment, watching her hair fall out, her faith was unwaving. Hurricane Harvey dumps 44 inches of rain on his house. They're tearing out walls and floors. Um, Just about then, his brother, his younger brother, gets diagnosed with stage 4 colon cancer. Um, And all through this, he's asking Jesus to stop the rain, stop the cancer, Change these things around me. But what he come to realize is my prayer should have been this. Change me so I can walk through these things. Listen to the words. Go ahead, Steve. I want to be church. Church, I want to be different. I want to be different than the church down the road. I want you guys to be different. I want you to be in the word continually. I want you to attend regularly. I want you to meet with somebody. I want somebody to meet with you. But the song says, I, I don't want to hear anymore. I want to listen to what God has to say. I don't want to see anymore. I want a vision. I want my heart to be set apart. I don't want to recognize that guy in the mirror. It's the same guy from last year. This year I want to be different. I don't want to trade his plan for something unfamiliar. I can't waste one more day. Join, close your eyes and pray with me this morning. Father, we thank you for the message that Matt has shared today. Challenge us as a church. We don't want to be that church. We want to have all green big thumbs up in this church. We don't want no red thumbs down. We want to be different. We want to be changed. Take us out of the equation. Let the whole world see that there's something different about us and different about this church. Don't let us get stuck in patterns. Let us gain the world and lose what really matters. So, Father, today we all, we all give it to you. Change us. Change us from within through your Holy Spirit. God, we want to proclaim Jesus Christ and the good news of the gospel message to the whole world. We want to make disciples. We ask this in your son's name. Amen.